Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. All right, good morning. Man, it's good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, My name's Nathan. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm excited about what God's laid on my heart for the past couple of weeks, really, to share with you guys. Um, You know... One of the greatest things for me being in youth ministry at Peavine, as long as I have, is I get to see kind of, like most youth pastors don't get that. And you guys might not know this, but the average stay for a youth pastor is probably a year to a year and a half, two years, and they move on. A lot of youth pastors going to youth ministry is a stepping stone to be a pastor. And um, they never get to experience what I experience. They never get to see how my work finally comes to fruition and I can see benefits in students that are in their 20s and now their 30s and uh, being in the same community the same church for so long I get to see that you know uh, I tell my guys I call my my guys the young bucks uh, like Corbin Tyler Shelby which a lot of the young people in the office are included in that but um One of the things I love most in ministry is seeing um, people like Shelby um, up here singing. I mean, she's a rock star, right? And uh, seeing Shelby, how God's working in her life, you know? Keith, that's right. You know, we're sitting in the office the other day all talking about when Shelby goes on tour, uh, what we're going to be, and I'm just going to be the bus driver. You know, I just want to be the bus driver. I think Tyler's social media Allie, our intern, she's going to be the encourager. Corbin will probably be our spiritual counselor, but he'll probably get snatched up somewhere too, you know. But the greatest joys in ministry is watching people serve the Lord. And not everybody is serving in ministry. Like, I don't believe that, you know, full-time ministry is the pinnacle of the Christian life. I really don't. Um, I'm sitting there and... uh, VBX, Paul Grant's son. Paul is my, what I consider my oldest youth. He's 30 now. I started working with Paul when I was probably 30. And uh, Paul Grant's son's named Daniel. Little guy, snaggletooth. He got saved VBX this week. So he gets saved, and I knew Paul was in the car line. Paul and I still talk on a regular basis. We still have that relationship. So I jumped in the car line, sat in the, Paul's minivan, you know, dad mode, and uh, sat, we just talked, caught up, talked about his kid's decision, the kid got baptized here, it's an amazing thing, you know, Paul's not in full-time ministry, but it's amazing to see what God's done in his life, because he's got a wife and children, and he's raising them to have a heart for Jesus Christ, and he's a witness in his workplace and in this community, and now he's a grown man, it's amazing, um, I love that, you know, A rhinoceros is the second largest mammal on earth. It's extremely strong and powerful. It's also fast. A rhinoceros can run up to 35 miles per hour. Oh, I thought y'all were looking at a rhinoceros. That's just me. (laughs) Dude. 
I'm not going to look at that again. I'm sorry. Um, it's extremely powerful, strong, fast. But did you know that a rhinoceros is also nearsighted? And because it's nearsighted, they're easily spooked and they will charge. A herd of rhinoceros sounds like a group of teenagers. It's called a crash. With the nearsighted and the speed and all the weight, it sounds like it makes sense, right? Well, what I love about youth ministry is I get to work with students and work with young people. And I believe, Pevine, our most valuable resource are the young people that are sitting here from 25-ish down. Because here's what they are. They're moldable. They're workable. They're teachable. And uh, I love to promote young people and uh, recruit and promote, man. You know, talking about recruiting. Corbin Kinsey. I got a picture of Corbin. And uh, this was Corbin years ago with a baby face. Now he's got a beard. But um, I hired Corbin for a youth series we were doing. He was in this band. Corbin played bass when he was like ninth grade. Like their parents drove them to church. They drove them here to set up a concert for us. And here's Corbin. My wife Chrissy's always got an eye for talent, you know. Well, we're standing there and this little kid here had just a part in a song. And Chrissy goes, hey, Nathan, you need to recruit him to lead worship at Peavine. And I'm like, whew, babe, you're right. But... Corbin had attended church all his life with his parents, which they now come here. But, uh, oh, I just touched something. Y'all just take care of me. I don't want to run that. But uh, <laughs> I'm dead serious about that. Um, I'll, I'll try not to touch it again. They dropped him off. Chrissy said, you need to recruit this guy. Well, I never recruited students that went to church with their families. Because I think that's how it should work. If a mother and father are in church, I don't care the size of the church. You should be with your mother and father worshiping and getting plugged into that community and get connected there. But uh, when Tim left, Tim's over there. Tim answered a call to full-time ministry, which let, opened up a worship position. Well, Corbin was my first-round draft pick. Called him up. Hey, man, let's meet. And you know what we do. The young people, they, they like to go to Starbucks and talk and stroke their beards, you know. But, uh, which I think is funny. But I'll stroke mine too. But, uh, you know. So we're sitting in Starbucks. I said, here's what I want, man. I'm looking for a worship leader for our youth program. And I want you to be it. And Corbin goes, hey, dude. He probably didn't say dude. He hangs out with me now, he does. But he said, hey, man, um, I've never led worship. I just play bass. I said, it doesn't matter. I think you can do it. Corbin said, but I'm not that talented. I said, I'm not looking for talent. I'm looking for character. I need somebody when they're on the stage, I know that they have character. And students, here's the thing about character. We always worry about our reputation and what people think of us. If you take care of your character, your reputation is going to take care of itself. And Corbin was that kind of kid. You know what I'm saying? So... Sure enough, he came on summer, and the rest is history. Now he's leading worship Wednesday nights. He's leading worship at Rossville, 
And at Peavine, we're just fortunate to have him and really want to just hold on to him because this guy, he, lead, he can lead a choir or a group in any church, any size. He's got such leadership skills. And uh, God's doing a great work through Corbin. Today, what I want to talk to you about is how we raise a David in our midst. Okay? And I'm going to share with you guys some observations according to Nathan. Some of these are a little bit, like, some of these I'm real hesitant to share. Like, I'm gun shy. Um, But I want to share them with you. Some of the things that Generation Z... They're facing obstacles in their way. Okay? They have a high need for acceptance. That's top of their list. They would just want to be accepted. And oftentimes, acceptance at any cost. Acceptance comes through validation through social media. Um, The amount of likes they have on a post... They're validating their identity as a person. Um, The only thing that's not accepted is for someone to have an opinion and be judgmental. And oftentimes, we're real quick to pull the judgmental card out, but that's excuses. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what someone's opinion is or what's right or what's wrong. All that matters is what the Bible says. So when the Bible talks about marriage, when God created male and female, that's gender specific. So when we talk about hot topics like marriage, gay marriage, hey, God created male and female. That's gender specific. Husband and wife. That's talking about genders in marriage. That's how God designed it. So doesn't matter about acceptance. What matters is what's right. They also deal with a high amount of pressure. Let me go back to acceptance real quick. I'm going to share this. Look, so much acceptance. Listen, boys ask for nude pictures. Girls send them. Middle school boys ask for them. Girls send them. Sixth grade boys ask for them. Girls send them. You understand? Where as a society, we aren't used to imitate a reality. Now our reality is imitating art. And we're imitating even in North Georgia, some of the hip hop culture, where we as females are just seen as objects. Girls don't fall into that trap. You're selling yourself into slavery. And it's not even required of you. It's just because somebody asked you. It's about time for us boys to bring a little chivalry back. Dude, show up to the house. Knock on the door. Meet the parents. Put on some clean socks and brush your hair. When you walk down the driveway, open the dead gum door. Girls. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, girls, expect that. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. 
You're his masterpiece. You should expect nothing less when a dude talks to you like you're his piece. Say, deuces, I'm out. Okay? Moms and dads, when they go to a dance, teach them how to dance. The Christian dances side to side. Never front to back. I'm glad y'all are laughing at that because I was real nervous about that one. (sighs) All right, we're done with acceptance. I'm moving on. I'm so glad y'all laughed at that. They live in a high amount of pressure academically. It's nothing but pressure. Man, schools, um, dude, I I don't want to say this, but hey, these tests that these kids are t- taking and the, the outcome of the test is supposed to determine your destination? Dude, that's hogwash. A test score never, a test score never should tell you where you're going to end up. I took the ACT one time, I made a 16, and I went to junior college. I'm a graduate level student now, you know? It should never tell you nothing about who you are, who you're going to become. High amount of pressure, sports are year-round. Coaches are giving you guys as parents only one week off of summer. I'm sorry, but I think your sports team would do a little better if you took a break. As Christian parents, we should come together and quit letting coaches dictate that we only get the week of July 4th off. And I'm not against sports. My kids are in them. High amount of pressure. Depression in teens are on the rise. It should be. With social media, um, girls are going online. uh, When when the party's happening or when they're out taking their pictures with their ice cream and their cupcakes for Instagram, all, all, all your daughter might be seeing if she's at home is, why didn't they invite me? Depression's on the rise. Amount of pressure, need for acceptance. It's just pressure. Um... There's no safe space. Like, here's the deal. When I was a kid, I could go to school. Somebody could kick me up and down the hallway. But when I got home, I was safe. Now, when you get home, you go to your room, you pick up your phone, and you're still not safe because of online bullying, because of what you see online. You understand? You're never disconnected from that unsafe space. They have a high level of uncertainty and fear a lot of that our families are in trouble one of their greatest fears is that you and your husband will get a divorce and that's even in healthy marriages because they see it everywhere they think it can come to my house at any day so husbands wives guard your heart because out of it flows the things of life fear is a big deal they have a fear of the future why wouldn't they These guys have grown up with school shooting drills in their school. Have you ever dropped your kids off at the school and started talking about, hey, what if? I'm like, hey, your book bag is a bulletproof vest. Put it in front of you. Run, serpentine. I don't care what they say. In a gunfight, run. Okay? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? School shooting drills. They've grown up with them all their life. Of course they're going to have a fear of the future. Fear of failure. Um, Some of these things I told you have... 
research behind them. Some are just what I see. Fear of failure. Some students don't try anything because they're afraid of failing. I see all the time 17-year-old boys that don't get their driver's license because they're afraid of failing. I don't know about you, but driving means freedom. I don't care if I get to drive to Dollar General and get a bag of Doritos and a Mountain Dew. That's freedom, baby. Right? But they deal with a fear of failure. Fear of intimacy and loneliness. Families are falling apart. Also, the pornography industry. Shocking statistic. The average age a boy is exposed to pornography is nine years old. So parents, what I'm saying is you better start having conversations. The conversations never stop. Have conversations. Even the secular world's talking about how pornography is damaging to your relationships. Academic success nor academic or athletics will keep your kids out of trouble. The top of their class. Kids that are the top of their class in these high schools are getting caught vaping in the bathrooms and ISS and suspension. You think, well, I've got my kids in sports. They won't do that stuff. No, they're doing it in the locker rooms. Um, Premarital sex in teens in the school system versus kids in the church have the same statistics. You know, as a church, we're real quick to jump on the, the homosexual bandwagon. And dude, that is the problem. It is sexual immorality. But if we could figure out sexual immorality within heterosexuals, Premarital sex would be doing a whole lot better and the other would take care of itself, okay? Um, okay, I'm done with that. Hey, open your Bibles, 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. Let's look at how we can raise a David, raise a, pers- a child, a kid with a heart for God in the midst of this, okay? 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Let me tell you this. So David's about to be anointed as king from a prophet named Samuel. God had, Saul was the people's choice as king for Israel. Uh, God never intended Israel to have a king. But the people demanded it, so God gave them what they wanted. They gave them a king that looked like a king, acted like a king. Uh, He fit the bill outwardly, but his character wasn't as good. So God's moving off Saul, fixing to move on to David, okay? So that's where we're at. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I name you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves 
and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's that character stuff. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Here's what happened. Samuel the prophet was acting. God had told him to go to Bethlehem. Find Jesse and his boys. So Samuel's worried that Saul's going to hear of it and have him killed. Okay? So the Lord says, just take it, go as a sacrifice. And I'll bring, I'll bring them all before you. Well, obviously this was a big deal. This will be like the vice president coming to Chickamauga, Georgia. You know? So the whole town knew about it because they were all getting ready for it. When Samuel did come, the scripture there says the town was saying, hey, do you come peaceably? Because here's the deal. The prophet of God wasn't like the youth pastor of this day. Like I can find uh, middle schoolers running through the hall, going through the coffee bar and eating the donuts. And I can say, hey, where y'all going? Getting together in place. And they'll be like, Psh, whatever, you know, back to the donut bar. But when the prophet of God in this day came to town, like, he could be bringing God's judgment to town. So there was a high level of respect for the pastors and the preachers. Well, he comes to town. He sets Jesse and his boys aside and has them come before him one after another. They're coming before him. Some of them look the part. I mean, they were probably taller, built, ripped, athletic, smart. Like they looked the part. And God said, no, I've rejected him one after another. Because, you know, sometimes we judge people by outward appearance. And that's what, that's, what, that's what the scripture's talking about. He's saying, nope, the Lord doesn't look at his outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. He looks at your character. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for you and your heart, a heart of character. And one after another, they pass by. And Samuel goes, hey, is this all of them? No, my youngest, he's out there keeping the sheep. Here's the thing. Jesse overlooked David. He overlooked him. He didn't even invite him. This was a big deal. And, Je and David wasn't even invited to the feast. Right? 
But you know what David was doing? He was showing character because he was faithfully about his father's business. He was keeping the sheep. They bring him in. Whoom, the rest is history. David, David goes out as known as a man after God's own heart. Uh, greatest king Israel ever had. I'm going to give you seven easy steps to raising a David under in your midst. Don't overlook the David under your roof. Jesse kind of overlooked him. He thought, man, he's too young. And you know, I preach this to these guys all the time. Uh, do not let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to believers in spirit, word, conduct, faith, and purity. Like, just because we're young, they're, they're the m- most talented, most willing, most They've got the most ability right now, more ability than they'll ever have the rest of their life. Revivals throughout history have always come through teenagers. Okay? Don't overlook the David under your roof. You know, Ronnie Hazelrig, if y'all know Ronnie, cooks on a Wednesday night. Ronnie's been talking to me for years about riding to an Amish community with him. And um, me and Ronnie are tight. And uh, so I finally had the time to go do it. And uh, we were riding out to the community, and Ronnie's talking about ditch lilies. Who knows what a ditch lily is? The orange flowers that grow in the ditch. And we used to see a whole lot more of them, but Ronnie on the way is talking about these ditch lilies. And when he gets there, he's going to try to find some ditch lilies in this Amish community. And uh, he was going to pay for them. I said, you know, Ronnie, that's right. I remember ditch lilies. I grew up on a dirt road as a small kid. I remember ditch lilies everywhere, and you don't see them anymore. Probably pesticide, you think? Yeah, 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 you know. Ronnie went and got ditch lilies. I'm going somewhere with this. Now, I've not seen them in years. But now everywhere I go, I'm seeing orange ditch lilies. Your brain has a funny thing of filing things once you recognize it. It's like when you buy a car. I don't care if it's a Hyundai. You've never seen a Hyundai until you buy one. And then all of a sudden, everybody and their brother has the Hyundai. Because your brain, your brain, it starts filing things. And sometimes, as a church and as parents, we're, the resource that we need, the resource that this community has in the future, is right under our noses. It's in our young people. And we see it. And sometimes you just have to not overlook it. And once you start noticing it, then you'll start seeing success popping up over and over again. You know, for dads, here's the deal. You may have to look for ways with your kids to encourage them. You got to look sometimes for things to encourage them about. Uh, Christy and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage, you know, and we went on a trip, came back. Uh, you, You don't know what it's like being six foot six, six foot seven, flying an airplane. I'd rather get stung by a yellow jacket, you know, kill, kill my back. I get home, I've been gone eight days, my ditch needed weed eating. I don't have ditch lilies in it, but one day I might. But my ditch needed weed eating, <clears throat> and I was going to go out there and do it, but my back was just killing me, and I knew VBX was coming. Well, I look out, and my son's just out there weed eating the ditch. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about, <laughs> you know? Hey, I gave him steak dinner on the porch for that one, but... uh You might have to look, dads, 
for things to encourage your boys about. Sometimes it's hard for you as a dad and us as dads to do that verbally. But you have to go out of your comfort zone and start doing it and start doing it now. You know, when you pick up your girls or your boys on, off the court or off the ball field, it might mean that you have to keep your mouth shut and not coach them the whole way home. Because here's the deal. If they weren't aggressive, they probably knew it. If their shot was off, they know it. Look for, look for ways to encourage. Look for strengths and interests that they have and foster them. Foster them. Feed it. Feed that interest. Um, have high expectations and expect them to rise to them. I say it all the time. Self-fulfilling prophecy is a term that you will live up or down to someone's expectations. I know about it because I used to be a rebel kid. And when teachers, I was a D student, you know, at best, summer school was my thing. But <laughs> when teachers had a low expectation, man, that was easy for me. I'd give them what they wanted. And I'd say it. I'm just going to get, if I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to give you what you want. But there are a few people in my life that had higher expectations. I started volunteering at a camp for people with disabilities in my first ninth grade. <laughs> and that's true. By the time I was out of high school, I was one of the assistant directors because the people that ran it saw that I had a great ability working with people and relationships. God gifted me with an ability to have relationships. And from then on, the rest is kind of history. My youth pastor, you say, Nathan, as soon as you surrender to Christ, once you do that, man, he'll start using you because God's gifted you. And once I did it, it's on, you know. But what I'm saying is I rebelled against, I started rebelling against the low expectations and started rising to the high expectations. Parents, it's okay for your kids to have chores, and expect them to do them. You know, Gracie, I expect my kids to work. Even my 13-year-old. He's got a lawn mowing business, you know. But, uh, dude, uh, Gracie got a job. She worked all week. We're sitting there Thursday. We, sometimes we just sit as a family in the living room. No TVs in there. And uh, we just sit and chill and kind of talk. And uh, Chrissy's like, hey, we're not doing nothing. We're not doing anything until the house gets cleaned. And like, hey, I got kids that have chores, but it looks like and when you come to my house, none of us have chores, okay? <laughs> so I'm just going to put that out there. But, you know, Chris, Gracie yells down. She goes, hey, guys, uh, you know, I think I'm going to make Saturday my Sabbath. <laughs> I'm like, who you think? What What'd you just say? She goes, my Sabbath. You know, Dad, it's a day of rest. And she was serious. I'm like, oh, hold on now. So you're going to devote your day to the Lord. Yeah, and I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> no, nah, dude, you know. Expect them to rise to the occasion. Do you know why teenagers are unreasonable? Why it's hard to reason with them? Who's got a teenager and you can't reason? Because they're unreasonable. One of the last developmental skills that we as people develop is reasoning and logic. (laughs) 
We're dealing with kids and big bodies with underdeveloped brains. And if you mix hormones in with it, you got trouble. You can't reason with them. But here's what I'm saying. Let me tell you this, because that's not a bad thing. How do you get them to exercise that reasoning muscle? You guide them to make right decisions. You can't live with your thumb on them. You have to be okay when, when, when they make mistakes. You've got to give them a, the ability to reason. Now, you should expect them to rise up. But you gotta, you've also got to give them the ability to make the decisions too. Um, in that, choose your battles wisely as parents. If it's not illegal, immoral, indecent, I'll put dangerous even though I like a little danger in my life. Illegal, immoral, indecent. Is it really worth the battle? Choose your battles wisely. Um, teach them to stand for what's right. I'm going to go through these. I'm about, I'm about to wrap this up. Teach them to stand for what's right. Rick Warren had a good quote. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. Hey, just because you're not a Georgia fan and you're a Tennessee fan, you can still get along, right? No, I know. Bad example. (laughs) Hey, when David heard the threats from Goliath in the next chapter... The whole army of Israel cowed down and they were worried about it. They cowed down. They didn't stand up. But David says, no, wait a minute. Who is this Philistine cursing God and cursing Israel? I'll take him. He's looking back to the pastor, the time where he was forgotten, and he's going, hey, if I've killed the bear and the lion, surely I can take this guy out. David didn't compromise what was right. He stood for what's right, and God came alongside him, and he conquered the giant. Church is a discipline and not an option. I was a rebellious teenager in a single-parent home. There were people in my church that would call my mother and say, hey, your boys can't hang out with our children. They're a bad influence. For real. But church was never an option. It was a discipline. Even when I was there, it didn't matter what I did the night before. I was in church. If I was just going there for the social hour, didn't matter. The Word of God eventually took root in my life. Church is a discipline, not an option. Here's what I like. When my kids come home and they say, Oh, well, I remember what so-and-so said. I remember what Brandy said, my Sunday school teacher. I remember what... Hannah said I remember what Juliana said I remember what they said well I can say have you guys as parents been saying something sometimes you're like my kids just ain't listening and somebody else will tell them the same thing and they're like so and so said this and this is what I'm gonna do and you're like dude I've been telling you for months I don't say that anymore because I'm like thank goodness somebody else told them and they listened 
Because real change happens when we come to the conclusions on our own. Right? Am I right? Yeah. Thank y'all. To have that kind of influence, your kids need to be here. Like if you've got children or teenagers, they should be a part of our program because there should be a relationship with us. So many times parents will call and say, hey, Nathan, so-and-so needs to meet with you. Can you set up a time to meet with them in your office? And I go, hey, mama, literally, hey, mom, listen, uh, that's the most unnatural thing you can do to your kid to sit them across the desk from me. But then there are people that have taken advantage of the programs and the activities and the camps. And I say, okay, that's cool. Dude, we'll just get in my truck, go pick up a milkshake. As soon as we get in the, mil- in the truck, all I got to say is, hey, dude, what's going on? And man, a lot of them, they'll tell it all, tell it all, because there's a relationship there. You see the difference? Take advantage of the relationships you have here with children's leaders and youth leaders. Take advantage of it. Church is a discipline, not an option. Um, you, you say, well, my kid's not going to camp because none of his friends are. Good. Because his friends are the dadgum distraction in his life. Why wouldn't you send him to camp without all the distraction? Maybe he'll hear from God this time. Right? Don't listen to excuses. Money's no issue. Money's never an issue at Peavine. Sometimes we make choices, but money's not an issue. David was described as a man after God's own heart. Kids can learn a lot about teamwork, about discipline on a ball field, but they're never going to learn to have the heart of Jesus like they will when they're sitting here at Peavine in our church, in our programs, under our leaders. Y'all hear me on that? That's, that's true. Um... Teach them to trust God. Here's the deal. David, he trusted God. When he was forgotten, he was faithful. He was doing his father's business. He was keeping the sheep. When he faced a giant, he had already been built up. He was tough. He was ready to face the giant without fear because he knew who, God's, who God was. Um, last thing. Good news. God's in control, not us. Parents, we don't have to live with regrets. Isn't it good that God can use our mistakes and our weaknesses for the better in our children? You don't have to live with regrets or worried about the mistakes or what you've missed. God's in control. This scripture shows us that Jesse had forgotten about David. Jesse had forgotten about David. But God didn't. God had a purpose for him. You never know what God's going to do in your child's life. You know, it's so easy now to get involved so quick. We don't want our kids to struggle. And with select, and I'm not against select sports. I'm really not. But with select, if our kids don't get the playing time they want, it's so easy just to move them to another team. David was benched. He was in the pasture keeping the sheep. You see what God was doing? God was preparing him for the position of king. Sometimes when your kids feel left out, forgotten, sometimes when you do, God's just preparing you for a position. 
that he has for you because there's a whole bigger purpose than what's out there on that ball field or in that court. There's a whole bigger purpose that God's got in store for you. Um, and ultimately, God's in control. So as parents, we got to trust the process. Your, your, your kids will make mistakes. That's one of life's greatest lessons. There's an action for every reaction. That's a good lesson. Your kids are going to make mistakes. But as parents, you've got to stick to the process. I tell parents all the time, I say, first, remind me of this when my kids mess up. Because you can't judge the product for what you have today. But you've got to stick to the process. And if you stick to the process, it's very likely the product will come. It's not a promise. Because God gives us all free will. And your kids have to make the decision to follow God as well. Y'all stand with me. Josh is going to come get a song ready. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. David is described in the Bible as a man after God's heart. The first step in having a heart for God is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, would you draw us with your Spirit as you've spoken through your Word? If you're here today and you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as easy as A, B, and C. You have to A, admit you're a sinner. You've got to admit that to God B believe Christ died on the cross that he rose again C confess him as Lord and Savior call out to him repent of your sin turn to him if you need to do that today right now is your opportunity I want you right where you're at to say this prayer it's not the words you say but it's the intent of your heart to follow Jesus at all costs Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you to come into my heart and save me. I'm calling out to you to be my Lord, my Savior. I want to live the rest of my life following you. In Jesus' name, amen. With heads bowed, eyes closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.